Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent. This week and through the election, The Pulse is teaming up with Maine Calling to bring listeners weekly news and analysis about the 2022 midterms. These discussions will occur live during Maine Calling's regular Friday broadcast, which takes place between 11 a.m. and noon and is rebroadcast from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. What you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of today's live discussion hosted by Maine Calling's Jennifer Rooks with political reporter Kevin Miller and myself. Steve, I'm going to start with you. There was a gubernatorial debate last night between Governor Mills and former Governor LePage. It was pretty feisty. Second to last debate. What do you think stood out? Well, Jen, in many ways, the debate tracked the way the previous three have. The issues with one major exception were pretty similar. Um, LePage and Mills argued over their economic records, energy, education, Uh, But the major difference here, I think, was sort of the intensity of the arguments, especially from former Governor Paula Page. He repeatedly called Mills a liar and also a lousy economist. And Mills responded to that by repurposing this line that she's used when LePage and uh, former President Trump visited Maine in 2020 and assailed her response to the pandemic. And she essentially said that She's had loud men yelling at her throughout her career, and that usually they're loud because they're hiding a weakness. And she went on to say that LePage's weakness is his approach to the economy during his tenure as governor. And then she went on to attack uh, the former governor's leadership style, which she described as chaotic and more focused on fighting people than problems. It was really quite the exchange. And And I have to say that the optics of the debate were quite interesting as well. I mean, the two candidates were positioned really close to one another, probably uh, closer than either of them would have preferred had they been arranging the stage themselves. And it made for a really interesting dynamic when the arguments got intense, you know, and I and I think the lead photo in the Portland Press Herald this morning captured it perfectly. It shows Mills uh, with her head tilted back and her eyes closed as LePage is sort of gesticulating right beside her. And I think that photo not only encapsulated the the, uh, debate, but in many ways, the relationship between these two candidates. Kevin, I understand there were no questions about abortion. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, some abortion rights groups and activists were obviously very upset that abortion didn't come up during the debate. Uh, Planned Parenthood accused uh, New Center Maine of, of giving former Governor LePage a pass. You know, but but this is an issue that's been pretty well covered in other debates, including the one that Maine Public and Portland Press Herald held uh, a few weeks ago that we we're all involved with. And you know, got they got a lot of coverage afterwards. Man, it's it's a top issue for Democrats and I think many women this election. So I can understand why some people were disappointed and surprised that it didn't come up. I you know, I suspect that that a lot of abortion rights activists were hoping to get more clips and news stories of of LePage, you know. Uh, struggling at times, shall we say, to clearly state his position on some of these more nuanced issues surrounding abortion. Um, I, I thought Pat Callahan and New Center made they actually did a good job of covering some other issues that that didn't come up in other debates. But yeah, they're getting a lot of criticism right now because this is a top issue for a lot of voters, and I think people 
not everybody watches every debate. So there are probably people that tuned in last night that didn't hear the debate on abortion during the pre previous two forums. So the final gubernatorial debate is next Thursday. Steve, what will you be watching for in that one, given that it takes place just five days before the final day of voting? Yeah, I think, that, Jen, the timing of that debate, which is hosted by WABI and WAGM, is really interesting. You know, there may have been previous debates this late in an election, but I, I can't re I can't remember one. And I think that having it so close to the final day of voting uh, could set the stage for some late theatrics, which possibly by LePage, who has shown an affinity for such things in the past. Um, he actually attempted a bit of a reveal last night by announcing this new website his campaign has launched. It's called JanetMillsLied.com, which the governor did not appreciate. Um, but I'm not sure it landed with the effect that he had hoped for. Um, but in any event, I think the, the likelihood that he tries something similar next week might be pretty high, especially if he's truly down in the polls, which, you know, the only ones that we've seen have suggested that he is, which means, you know, if, and if that's true, he might have to make up some ground. And I've said this before, I think a debate stage is, is a good opportunity for a candidate to do something like that. Speaking of last night's debate, uh, there were actually two debates this week, and in both of those, electricity prices came up as a primary issue. issue. Governor LePage blames Governor Mills for Maine's high electric costs, stating that her renewable energy policies are driving up prices. And Governor Mills says that former Governor LePage set the stage for our problems by not diversifying into renewables and depending on natural gas. The candidates also sparred over offshore drilling. But I'm not sure if your answer also includes drilling for oil off the shores of Maine, off the coast of Maine, as you supported for many years during your tenure as governor. I hope it does not. Would you like to respond to that? No, if I'll go where the oil is, period. In my lifetime and in the lifetime of this governor, we will not see ourselves off oil. What we will see ourselves is working to minimize oil and developing the uh, technologies of the future. Make sure they're ready for prime time before we start paying 30 cents a kilowatt hour for, for electricity. All right. And that's from a debate earlier this week. Kevin, you've done a lot of reporting on energy issues and especially um, what the candidates are saying about energy issues. What's the truth? Well, it's interesting that that clip that we just heard from the debate on Monday, it, it's received a lot of attention because on one hand, you have LePage suggesting that he supports drilling for oil wherever it can, wherever it can be found, presumably potentially off the Atlantic coast. The Trump administration proposed that almost five years ago and got huge amounts of pushback from the fishing community and the lobstering community because of the environmental risks. But on the other hand, you have LePage accusing Mills of supporting offshore wind power, which the fishermen also oppose because they say it's going to hurt their industry. But on the issue of prices of electricity, you know, the, the data clearly shows that these huge price spikes that that CMP and Versa customers have had to absorb over the past year, and we're talking 80 plus percent increases on the supply side of our electric bills. You know, those price spikes are being driven by soaring by the soaring price of natural gas, not by renewable energy as LePage is claiming. And he's been claiming that for, for many years now. Um, you know, natural gas prices have more than doubled and nearly tripled in the past two years. 
and here in New England, we we get more than half of our more than half of our uh, electricity is generated from natural gas. You know, and it's all about supply and demand. Gas production declined during the pandemic and hasn't caught up with the demand. And then we've had the war in Ukraine that's made things exponentially worse because Russia is the world's second largest exporter of natural gas. And a lot of that gas had been going to Europe. And now New England is having to com compete with Europe for natural gas. So really, when you're talking about electricity prices, the biggest driver right now is the price of natural gas, not renewable energy, as former Gov Governor Page has been suggesting. Steve, you've been tracking all the money being spent this campaign cycle from the governor's race down to legislative races and even some local races. There's a bit of a theme emerging from the 2022 cycle, correct? Yeah, it's there's a lot of money sloshing around and, you know, trying to, you know, to persuade voters how to vote. And today is this 11 day pre-election filing deadline for uh, political action committees and candidates. And we don't have those reports in hand right now. Um, because they tend to file uh, those reports uh, closer to midnight, which is the deadline. Um, but they will give us a decent idea of how the gubernatorial candidates are doing um, on the fundraising front. Uh, Mills has been leading LePage in that regard, but LePage has never been a prolific fundraiser, and it's never really mattered because he's won every election he's run in. Um, and the political action committee reports will also provide some context for the outside spending that's well underway and that's really significant and that's what i think is um really should be focused on at the moment because the outside spending which is spending done by groups that are operating separately from the candidate campaigns uh, has been just crazy i mean spending on state house races which includes the race for governor and the legislature is well over 22 million dollars right now and you can expect to see that number go even higher as the you know as we get to uh, November eighth. Uh, the race for governor is driving that total and sits just shy of seventeen million dollars. And um, again, just keep in mind, I, I have to emphasize this a lot because I think it's hard or easy for the public to get confused. That again, this is spending by groups that are operating separately from the candidate campaigns, and that's important because there's no limit on the size of the contributions these groups can accept or how much they can spend. And that's why this spending often eclipses the money raised by the candidate candidates themselves. It's also the reason why there's so many ads. The candidates couldn't possibly pump out so much messaging on their own because there are contribution limits. But these groups can essentially get one big donation, say $1 million from one donor, and then saturate the media for several days, if not weeks. And you know the sustained intensity of the spending by these groups suggests that the governor's race might be closer than the poll suggests, or at least the groups that are doing the spending think that it is. And that's why we're continuing to see it um, at such a clip that we have been so far. And Kevin, that's what I wanted to ask you about. All the public polls so far show that Governor Mills has a significant double-digit lead over former Governor LePage. But as Steve was saying, there's some reason to believe that the private polls conducted by the candidates might tell a different story. What are you seeing and hearing? Yeah, well, we're, we're not privy to these private internal polls done by the campaigns unless they want to share them. And that's pretty much always because they have some good news they want to leak to the press. Um, but as we've seen in recent years, public polls don't always get it right. But I think observers still think that this race or governor, the governor's race in particular, is still very competitive. And as Steve just mentioned, 
you know, during the debates, LePage has been on offense during the past debates. And I know people get probably get tired of hearing all of us talk about money and politics. But as Steve said, the flow of money is often, you know, one indicator of things because campaigns highlight issues and spend money often in response to their own internal polling. And, and look, uh, there's there's a lot of competition for kind of a slice of the money pie that's held by these big national groups and national parties. And these national groups, you know, they're not going to want to dump a ton of money into a race that's not competitive or that is no longer competitive. There are, we've seen a lot of examples, you know, every big election year of national groups pulling out of a race because they no longer see it as competitive. Uh, as Steve mentioned, we'll see more later today on the campaign finance from, from the governor's candidates. But, you know, these independent expenditures in the race for governor and the second congressional district and the state legislature, they're, those, they're still flowing in there and they're huge. And that certainly tells us that these races are all viewed as competitive by the parties, by the campaigns. Speaking of tight, Steve, the second district race between Jared Golden and Bruce Poliquin is believed to be extremely tight. What are these two campaigns emphasizing as we move into this home stretch of election season? Well, I think, Jen, I think the primary tension in that race centers on Golden and whether he's the independent pragmatist that he says he is. And I think that's really important because of the district he represents, the second congressional district which is decidedly purple and increasingly shaded red. Um, that's why Poliquin, Bruce Poliquin, who held that seat formally um, in aligned interest groups are going straight for that brand and, and trying to make Golden out to be some sort of imposter who really serves President Joe Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But polling suggests that Poliquin and the Republicans are really having some difficulty on this front. And this week, I think, you have a pretty uh, fresh example of why. This week, Golden received this award from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Now, why is this award even significant? Well, it's because for a long time, the chamber was essentially viewed as an arm of the Republican National Committee. It's spent to get Republicans elected, and it largely backed their policies, You know, primarily tax cuts. But that's changed a bit in recent years as the GOP takes this increasingly nationalist view on trade and immigration. And so this major business group has begun courting business-friendly Democrats, of which uh, Golden is one. And this week, this award to Golden is an example of that. Uh, remember that the U.S. Chamber ran ads on his behalf when he and other centrist Democrats delayed a vote on President Biden's Build Back Better proposal last year, uh, which the chamber opposed. And so that Congress could pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill, which the chamber supported. So this week you had an organization that traditionally backs Republicans coming to Maine and giving an award to a Democrat who just happens to be in a very close race against the Republican who used to hold that seat. And they did that with less than two weeks before the election. I think it's significant. Uh, and just in the sense that it, it's it's almost like a boost. It's almost as good as a campaign donation or even an ad run on Golden's behalf. Kevin, do we have a sense of how many people in Maine have already voted? And then who has voted? More Democrats, more Republicans? Yeah, so the Maine Secretary of State's office releases figures um, uh, every week on these. And as of yesterday, the there had been uh, about 192,000 absentee ballots had been sent out and uh, just over 117,000 had been returned. 
So that, that's a pretty healthy number. That's not nowhere close to what we saw in 2020 uh, during the last presidential election. There was around 500,000 uh, voters who cast ballots by absentee that year. But again, that was a presidential election. This is a midterm. It's a midterm where we have a governor's race. Uh, but midterm elections are always uh, lower turnout. I think back in 2018, four years ago, we had about 65% turnout, which is high for a lot of states, but but not necessarily very high for, for Maine. As far as uh, usage, Democrats uh, still seem to be kind of leading the pack as far as requesting and, and returning their absentee ballots. And that's a trend that we've seen up here for the past couple of years. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. Be sure to tune into Maine Calling next Friday at 11 a.m. to hear the Pulse live. And if you can't tune in, podcast subscribers can still hear the Pulse Friday afternoons. And don't forget our weekly newsletter, which you can read at mainepublic.org slash pulse. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you next week.